Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? Rugby Australia announces huge $2 million funding boost. Aussies kick off their T20 World Cup in style and the Las Vegas Aces in the WNBA are in some trouble around alleged salary cap breaches. For our key story, we'll discuss the girls' school that has put an end to their Aussie rules program due to concerns around concussion. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm the founder of the Female Athlete Project, an Olympic gold medalist and a Giants AFLW player. Every week on the show, I'm joined by my co-host, Bez, who's one of our incredible team members here at TFAP, who looks after the research and merch and all the good stuff, in addition to some amazing people doing some good stuff behind the scenes at TFAP. This podcast drops every Tuesday morning at 6am. Hit subscribe, give us a review, and you can also subscribe to the weekly email that you can read with your morning coffee on a Tuesday. Let's take a look around the grounds. That's me. In Rugby Union, in some very, very exciting news over the weekend, Rugby Australia announced that Australia's best 15-a-side players will receive part-time contracts. The $2 million investment in the 15s game will see 35 players receive between $30,000 and $52,000 in Rugby Australia payments for Wallaroos and Super W duties. So all Super W players, which is the domestic competition here in Australia, will get a minimum payment of $4,000 from Rugby Australia, plus whatever money Super W clubs can or will pay their squads, which is likely to range from $1,000 to $5,000 for the seven-week competition. We were at last week, week before, tough to say. Fundraising lunch for the Waratahs women. Mm -hmm. It was an excellent lunch. Um, you spoke very well at it, but no, we got some really fantastic support from people out there in the community and the business space. And we're very excited to be able to compensate the girls again this year. We did give them a, a nominal payment last year, which pretty much would have just covered expenses. But um, yeah, this year it's definitely going to bump up thanks to RA's contrib- contribution. And as I said, the um, awesomely generous support from our supporters. Support, support, support. We love. So much supporting. (laughs) Support cubed. (laughs) So pretty much the goal for the Wallaroos is that by 2025, they're hopefully going to be full-time professional athletes. And the main reason, not we don't really need a reason, they should have been full-time a little while ago, but the main push is for the Rugby World Cup that's going to be on home soil in 2029. So... The new contract structure is a bit of a push towards making elite women's 15s rugby fully professional. And it's the first step of the planned staged increase in investment over the next five years. So as a bit of background, the Wallaroos were paid per DM fees on national duty last year, a year that saw them need approximately 14 weeks off work. That's a lot of weeks off work. You have to be a very, very understanding employer. Which is pretty much, if you think about any... Um, part-time semi-professional female athlete in the country at the moment, there is not a single one that could have an employer that wasn't flexible if they wanted to keep doing both. Absolutely not. The difference between the full-time nations and the rest was pretty obvious, would we say? Absolutely. In the World Cup in New Zealand? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we obviously made it to the quarterfinals, which was excellent, but the two matches we lost over there were to two full-time, fully contracted teams. And yeah, it, it was pretty obvious out there on the pitch. Another exciting component about 
the new CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement, agreed to between Rugby Australia, the RUPA, the Rugby Union Players Association, and the Super W clubs also contains a parenting and pregnancy guideline for 15s players in which they will still be paid a full contract amount while on maternity leave. There will also be contributions toward childcare for players with children up to the age of 12. That's the stuff we love to see, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really, really... Uh, commendable part of the CBA for sure. Well done, everyone involved. Very exciting times. Um, and also great to see some of the Wallaroos girls at Kirribilli House the meeting elbow. elbow. What's the go? Everyone's met elbow in last week. I don't know. He's getting around, isn't you, he? You guys are besties? Yeah, we had a good time at Parliament House actually. Yeah, nice. I'm getting him an orange scarf to come and sit on the hill at Henson Park because Giants were at Henson Park in Marrickville before mm. the Swans AFLW team were. So um, I don't think his allegiances should lie with the Swans AFLW team anymore. You touched it first. You bagged it. Absolutely. And, yeah, so the, so the Wallaroos were at Kirribilli to announce it. And um, yeah, I believe there was a little issue with Albo's dog is called Toto. <laughs> and a certain Wallaroos hooker may have stood in Toto's doo-doo and walked it all over the place. Fun times. Who was that? Adiana Talakai. That's funny. <laughs> Abo was very apologetic for Toto's business. Yeah, why did he not pick it up in time? Unsure. Um, do, do you think he has a dog poo picker up I hope not. Okay, in cricket, the T20 World Cup has kicked off and the Aussies produced an impressive performance against New Zealand that put the rest of the tournament on at notice. Wicketkeeper Alisa Healy returned from injury and scored an entertaining 55 from 38 balls to help Australia to a competitive score of 9 for 173 from their 20 overs. When the Aussies took the ball, Megan Shute quickly removed Susie Bates and Sophie Devine in the first over, both for a duck. Shute finished with figures of 2 for 8, but it was Ash Gardner who was the star with the ball taking 5 for 12. The bowling masterclass resulted in the White Ferns being bundled out for only 76 runs. That was a thrashing. The Aussies next face Bangladesh in Port Elizabeth on Wednesday morning AEDT before finishing the group stage with matches against Sri Lanka on Friday and South Africa on Sunday. How good. In Rugby League, on Saturday, the Maldi Ferns got the victory in the All-Stars match, winning 16-12 against the Indigenous All-Stars. Zali Fay crossed for a double for the Maldi Ferns and she was joined on the score sheet by Jasmine Strange and Amy Turner, go way, way, who also both crossed the line. The Indigenous All-Stars threw everything at the home side in the final minutes, but the Maldis held on to reclaim the All-Stars title. Maldi Ferns fullback Gail Braun was named player of the match and rewarded with a hucker from her teammates before sharing her feelings about the tight and exciting contest. She said, no better feeling coming home and bringing this special moment home. Can't put it into words. I'm absolutely buggered. What a game. Pretty cool. Former uh, New Zealand Sevens player, Gail Broughton, who's transferred across to rugby league in the past year, maybe. I think last season was her first of NRLW and she's been absolutely killing it. So pretty cool for her to have the chance to head home and do that. I think she grew up playing league and always wanted to play in the NRLW. So it's pretty cool to see her. She's a special athlete. She's very good. Yeah. Uh WNBA in basketball. WNBA champs, the Las Vegas Aces, are under investigation for a potential salary crap rule breach. Did I just Was say, that a hard sentence? I just may have said crap. Sorry about that. Did you say salary crap? I could have. Apologies, everyone. <laughs> Sources have claimed 
already a bit poo themed today's episode. There's a lot happening. Sources have claimed that the Aces made under the table payment offers to players. The article claims that the player's agent would be advised by the Aces that they should expect a phone call with a sponsorship offer from a particular pre-selected company. The WNBA's CBA expressly forgives backdoor sponsorships that exceed. They do not forgive them. Wow. Sorry. I'm struggling here. Uh, Expressly forbids backdoor sponsorships that exceed fair market value. They also prohibit payments that supplement player contracts that fall below the fair market value in free agency. So the Aces might not be the only ones being investigated. There are questions being raised of the recent New York Liberty signings. Brianna Stewart and Courtney Vandersloot, who are probably two of the best basketballers on the planet, reportedly both took pay cuts to help their super team sign other players and remain under the salary cap. There does seem something that's not right about that. Stewart signed a one-year, $175,000 deal with New York worth almost 60 k less than what she would have received from Seattle. That's not right to me. Stewart referred to the Liberty's huge $500,000 fine that the ownership paid after being caught providing charter flights for the team in 2021. Stewart said they're fighting to elevate the standard. We're hoping it's not just a no but can be a maybe and eventually a yes when it comes to chartered flights. It does open that kind of question around, you know, for me, the, the WNBA salary cap's not large enough. Well, I think that's the thing is, is you read this about the Aces and I don't sit here thinking they've done the wrong thing. They're trying to pay their players. Absolutely. I just, I think you obviously haven't provided them enough. Yeah. So owners are obviously getting creative, yeah. trying to make their teams desirable destinations for top free agents. And the WNBA has a real issue on their hands given the emergence of a few super teams during this trade period. The CBA and salary cap attempts to obviously to spread the talent across the lead. But if owners are willing to invest in women's sport. Buy a t-shirt from TFAP. In capitals, <laughs> should they be harm, hamstrung by the those restrictions. The WNBA has made huge progress recently and under Commissioner Kathy Engelbert's leadership experienced massive investment and audience increases. But as we said, those restrictions on further investment in the players under the CBA is surely counterintuitive when it comes to looking to expand the league and pay the players what they deserve. Yeah, I think what you've touched on there, like obviously the salary caps are in place to try and spread that talent out. And we see that in a whole range of leagues over in the US, here in Australia, issues with with talent almost being too concentrated in certain cities. So I totally understand the reasoning for the salary cap, but if you're starting to see, we're seeing huge um, NIL deals, the name, image and likeness deals that have come out of college, but someone like Brianna Stewart is so well known. We know um, Sabrina Ionescu, like these are players that have these huge profiles who can earn really big money. And if you're putting a limit on that, the clubs have to find a way to make them more money. Absolutely. And if there are corporations, business people, intelligent humans out there willing to spend the money on female athletes, let them. I agree. It feels it feels very much like a restriction of trade. Scrap the salary crap. <laughs> salary crap's out. In soccer, Sam Kerr is at it again. How many times have we said that on this podcast? Well, she just cannot stop 
It's her, own, it's her own fault. It's her own fault. Last week, she scored four times for Chelsea in their Continental Cup semi-final win over West Ham. The Blues booked their spot in the final with a 7-0 demolition of the Hammers, and they've set up a London derby against Arsenal in the final at Selhurst Park on March 5th as they seek their third League Cup title in four years after falling to Manchester City in the final a year ago. Kerr was amazing in front of goal and her stats for Chelsea are next level. She's now scored 81 goals in 99 games for the Blues, including seven hat-tricks and back-to-back WSL Golden Boot Awards. Despite those elite stats, she was recently overlooked when the final three nominees for the FIFA Best Women's Player of 2022 award were announced. The three players are Spain's Alexia Puteas from Barcelona, England's Beth Mead from Arsenal, and American Alex Morgan, who plays for the Orlando Pride and recently just moved, yeah, to the San Diego Wave. Wave. Kerr was runner up for the award last year to Pateas, and her 2022 season has been epic. I almost lost where I was up to just then. It happens. The orange reflection of the new light. We haven't even spoken about the new light yet. I didn't think I was a neon sign person. Turns out I'm a neon sign person. We're always learning. It's cool. It's an amazing neon sign. I actually can't wait till we put it in a bar. Yeah. Our own women's sports bar. The, we'll, um, we, digre- listening we digress. To the, we digress. But if you're listening to the podcast, you'll have to check out the Instagram videos that we put up this week because we've got a new toy. And it's great. It makes us look orange, but we're here for it. <laughs> we're glowing. Back to Sam Kerr. She has won the English Women's Super League Golden Boot for a second straight season. She was named the English PFA's Players Player of the Year and claimed the WSL FA Cup double with Chelsea. The controversial finalist is Puteas, who missed a large majority of the season with an ACL injury. That one was a little bit interesting, wasn't it? It is confusing. And I've seen a few different timings around season. Like it's not the 2022 calendar year. Yeah, right. It's the season. But the the reality is that Puteas was missing for part of that season. Yeah, I, I don't know. And an ACL injury is not a short-term injury. Kerr came home to Australia over the weekend. I saw that on an Instagram story about it. Was she out of Bondi Icebergs or something like that? The Matildas will play the Czech Republic on Thursday night at Central Coast Stadium, Spain on Sunday at Combank Stadium in Parramatta, and Jamaica on Wednesday in Newcastle. Matildas goalkeeper Mackenzie Arnold spoke about how important the Cup of Nations is for the Aussies, noting especially the format, playing every two to three days, which is what the World Cup is going to offer. Having very different opponents as well, that's something that we don't get to play against every day. It's very good preparation for us for the World Cup and hopefully we can take advantage of that. I like that. It's good, good chat. Absolutely. I'm super excited to watch those games. In some more soccer, over the weekend, the Canadian women's soccer team released a statement through the Canada Soccer Players Association, the CSPA, that said the players are outraged and deeply concerned by Canada Soccer's reported funding cuts. They added, the time is now. We are taking job action. Captain Christine Sinclair appeared on Canada's The Sports Network, TSN, and confirmed that from this moment on, we will not be participating in any Canadian Soccer Association activities until this is resolved. So the players have been negotiating with Canada Soccer for more than a year now, both the men's and women's team. And they've said being told to prepare to perform at world-class level without the same level of support that was received by the men's national team in 2022 is just not viable. 
sorry, but that does that sentence not just sum up every women's sport across the globe? Pretty much. It's like cut and paste, you know, rinse and repeat. The statement said that training camps have been cut for the women's team as well as a number of players and staff invited and the already limited youth program has suffered further cuts due to funding. The team's currently in Orlando, Florida, preparing for the She Believes Cup, which is a tournament between the USWNT, Brazil, Japan, Japan and Canada. Both the men's um, – so the Canadian men also refused to play a planned friendly in Vancouver last summer because of their unhappiness at the state of the negotiations, which included division of prize money from the Men's World Cup in Qatar, and they released their own statement on social media. That statement questioned how funds were being spent – saying how Canada soccer is allocating or using funds is unclear and cloaked in secrecy. So only a few hours after the two statements were issued by the teams, Canada soccer responded with its own statement. It was a statement of a thon um, saying it was a prove, it has a proven track record of supporting women's soccer. Um, pay equity for our women's national team is at the core of our un- ongoing player negotiations. Canada Soccer will not agree to any deal without it. That is why after months of negotiations with our women's national team and their legal counsel, Canada Soccer already issued a mutually agreed retroactive payment. Apparently that was in the region of $1.7 million to the players. Uh, the saga continued 24 hours later after the women's team had missed one day of training. The players went back to work. In a statement, the women said Canada Soccer told them it considered their job action was an unlawful strike and would trigger legal action. That second statement read in part, they told us that if we did not return to work and did not commit today to playing in Thursday's game against the United States, they would not only take legal action to force us back to the pitch, but would consider taking steps to collect what would be millions of dollars in damages from our Players Association and from each of the individual players currently in camp. Your face, I love your face. <sighs> it's shocking all. Very bullying like behavior. That was not a very good sentence, but I'm a bit shocked by that response. They went on to say as individual players who have received no compensation yet for any of our work for Canada Soccer in 2022, we cannot afford the risk that personal action against us by Canada Soccer will create. Because of this, we have advised Canada Soccer that we will return to training on Sunday and play in the She Believes Cup as scheduled. That's sad. It's really sad. It's really sad. Uh, so the captain Sinclair said on social media, to be clear, we are being forced back to work for the short term. This is not over. We will continue to fight for everything we deserve and we will win. The She Believes is being played in protest. I think that's still saying something in itself. The fact that they've obviously their hand has been forced. They're going to have to play because of what's been threatened against them. But I think, I think when players are united like this and particularly when they haven't been treated very well in this whole process, I I can imagine they'll work out a way to make it very clear that they're protesting being there. Absolutely. Apparently they're leading up to it. They were training with their jerseys on inside out and things like that. So, you know, they're getting, it's again, it's sad that they're having to take these steps, but they're taking the steps and getting the attention that they deserve Mm -hmm. and that the issue deserves. Um, The women's team are also on board with the men's team in asking for Canada Soccer to open their books to allow them to negotiate using all information available. The governing body has repeatedly said that pay equity will be a pillar of the new deal, but that's not been the case in the past. In 2021, here's some stats for you people, Canada Soccer spent $11 million on the men's team and $5.1 million on the women. 
Captain Sinclair notes that Summit 2.5 million of that women's funding came from Own at the Podium, which I believe is a foundation, not Canada Soccer. Sinclair also pointed out that the men played 19 games that year, including 14 World Cup qualifiers. The women played 17 and won an Olympic gold medal. Just a casual gold medal flex. Sinclair said, we are not mad at the men's team. They deserve what they get. They deserve to be treated how they were treated last year, which was a World Cup year. These teams deserve to have proper preparation for the biggest stage. We're just asking for the same. How good is that? Thank you, Preach. The men deserve that treatment and we deserve the same. It's a great chat. More numbers because we love stats here at the Female Athlete Project. So last week, the UK Group Women's Sport Trust published research on broadcast numbers in the UK in 2022. So what they found is that the average viewing time per person for women's sport on TV in the UK increased year on year by 131% in 2022. That's like, that's a solid increase, isn't it? It's very impressive. A couple, there's a few stats here and we've posted um, the full results on our social media if you want to check it out, but I might just pull out a couple of my favorites. 40.1 million people watch women's sport in the UK in 2022. 89% of new view- viewers to women's sport from free to air coverage in 2021 went on to watch more women's sport in 2022. And... The numbers of viewers who were unique to women's sport increased with 1.8 million people who watched the women's Euros not watching the men's FIFA World Cup. I thought that stat was really interesting because I think we do see the data. We know that there's actually a lot of men that watch women's sport um, because they're already fans of sport and they just they kind of go across both. And for them, it's more on TV, more sport for them to watch. But I thought that was quite interesting that it doesn't necessarily go both ways it's kind of some interesting data that that says that we can have unique fans that are just fans of women's sport there's an untapped market there absolutely and yeah i'll read this so you can get emotional but i just really wanted to share this quote it's probably not much of an emotional one but it's a bit of a mic drop situation so tammy parlor is the women's sport trust co-founder and ceo and she said while previously the focus has been on ensuring that women's sport is visible in broadcast which remains really important to ensure the commercial sustainability of women's sport we need to maintain and grow the time that fans are spending consuming women's sport content a big focus for the industry in 2023 should be how to continue to build visibility across all platforms not just tv as this will help build connection and habit with women's sport which in time can then be commercialized content people content engage with women's sport content um you and riley manufactured produced created ripped off any choose one of the above an awesome little post from someone recently about the things that you can do for absolutely free that will help women's sport for absolutely free found by riley and put together by stinger who's um helping out with some of our social media stuff that one loved it was shared by thousands of people it was pretty cool yeah and loved it and it you know that is that's the reality it doesn't cost a lot to engage in content and it will result in commerce in, in benefits for the athletes absolutely right let's take a look at the key story so this one's about concussion queenwood is a private girls school in mossman on sydney's north shore And last week they confirmed that they have banned AFL in the school for fear of long-term brain injuries. 
Queenwood Principal Elizabeth Stone said in a statement, it's quite a long one, so hang on, but it's she kind of steps it out pretty well. Mm. At Queenwood, we loved everything about Australian rules football except for the risk of trauma to the brain. We did an extensive review of the research, drawing on expert advice, and what we found concerned us. There were three decisive factors. The first was the mounting evidence that adolescents are at greater risk of brain injury than either children or adults. The second was that the data showing that females experience concussion more frequently and more severely than males. This meant that our students, teenage girls, were in the highest risk category. And the third factor, which is not widely understood, is that the damage accumulates over time from any impact to the head, including subconcussive impacts. It's like clocking up charges on a credit card with an unknown but catastrophic credit limit. While individuals vary in how many blows to the head they can sustain before crossing the threshold to detectable brain injury, we weren't comfortable with the idea that our students would be pushing closer to that limit on our watch. They have a lifetime ahead of them. We phased out Australian rules football with reluctance but real certainty on the basis of the evidence that it was in their best interests. I mean, it's a school like Queenwood. They've obviously done significant research they haven't just picked this out of up out of the blue and and made this decision like as you can see there it's what they're saying is is true in terms of what the research is currently saying about who the highest risk categories are quite interesting because one of my giants teammates nicola barr went to queenwood and was part of the push for aussie rules to be played in schools um and at queenwood in particular and she was interviewed on seven news um, after this announcement and she said i know that my life now certainly wouldn't be what it was if i hadn't been given the opportunity to play at queenwood when i was 16 or 17 i know how much afl has given me and i know how much afl has given other girls who went to queenwood and i think it's really important for us to promote girls and let them play as much sport as they can it's really empowering. It develops so much resilience and we can see the benefits of girls playing sports. She said that she believes investing in quality coaches and training to help players learn the sport in safe environments is key. So I think that's probably the point I wanted to touch on and and probably the question that I wanted to raise was whose decision is it to make? Is it the school's decision to make or is it the parents of the children that are participating in the sport? Because I think... For me, I think the school can provide the opportunity and the parents can then weigh up the risk. I think it's really important for the school to present the information and the parents can actually put different things in place. If they say, we want our daughter to play footy, they can actually put things in place to ensure that their daughter gets access to tackle coaching from a younger age. Because I think that's one of the huge factors is that girls playing contact sports haven't necessarily grown up like boys have, learning how to tackle from a very young age. And and a lot of time we see concussions in Aussie rules, in rugby and different sports from girls who, who've recently learned to tackle. And it's not, this is not just an AFL problem. This is a contact sport problem. And this is, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a contact sport. You can hit your head playing a whole range of sports. I hit my head once really hard doing backstroke. Um, <laughs> but no, in all honesty. Is that a true story? Yeah, it is. Swimming's dangerous, people. Um, <laughs> Cancel it in schools. <laughs> no, but in, in all honesty, it is a contact sport issue and we're seeing it, you know, across the board at the moment. Um, and I think what yourself and, and Nick Barr said is absolutely on the money. What matters and, and what 
can help this is introducing safety measures, making sure the right people are in place to be coaching these kids, making sure that that introduction to the sport. One of the biggest things, and it's one of the things that as a as a coach, I think is super important is in this kind in any kind of sport is learning how to fall properly totally. it's one of the things that we kind of forget about it's not natural for a lot of people kids fall really well they're used to falling over right once you get to that kind of adolescent stage you forget learning how to fall properly all those little things that that actually really matter and i think that you know the sport sports in general would probably be really really benefit from a framework about introducing young females to these contact sports in a controlled and very informative way yeah i totally agree and i think what's important to highlight here bez you and i both are very well aware of the risk of concussion and how serious it is and we know there's um always research being done i don't know if people have seen the movie concussion it's worth it's worth a watch it's a little bit scary very scary and as someone who played 200 over 200 games of rugby in the front row and suffered an a, a to be honest, a fairly large number of concussions. It is very confronting. Mm. Um, but would I, you know, even knowing that now, would I change my my decision? Absolutely not because rugby gave me so much more. And I think that's another thing that Nick kind of touches on there that, you know, you have to weigh up the risk of concussion and potential long-term damage with the health and social benefits that are provided by sports, especially, you know, for me, team sports, that interaction, friendships, you know, all of resilience as Nick touched on. That's a, for though, for me at the moment that absolutely outweighs the risk. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I'm obviously still playing sport and I'm, I find it really interesting to read. I get a little bit scared sometimes reading some of the data about concussion because it is a little bit confronting. And I think some of the unknowns about what the trauma to your brain can do, but I think I'm very similar in that I weigh up what football brings me. And I think you can put things in place to mitigate the risk, like with a whole range of different factors in life. Yeah. Very I, true. I just don't know if, if the school removing the sport altogether is the right answer in this case. I agree. Let's take a look at what to watch. The Women's T20 World Cup continues on Wednesday morning when the Aussies take on Bangladesh. You can catch all the action live on KO and Foxtel. I believe KO have made it all the matches freebies. So Yeah, they are. Which is great news. Um, bowl off, bat off. The game starts at 4 a.m. AEDT. Sorry? Tip off, bowl off, bat off. Oh. What do you reckon? The first ball will be bowled is probably the correct first terminology. Ball? Yeah, no, I just like off. You you like all the offs, the bounce off in footy. The bounce off is my favourite because it upsets all of my Victorian in-laws. In soccer, the Matildas are home for the Nation's Cup. Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's exactly what it's called. Are you sure? Maybe. I don't think it is. It was pretty late last night. Yeah, Cup of Nations. Yeah. <laughs> It was a word jumble. You can all figure it out. The Matildas are home for the Cup of Nations and will face Czech Republic on Thursday. The kickoff is at Central Coast Stadium, 7, 10 p.m. You can watch live and free on the 10 Network. Go the Tillies. Yeah, the Tillies. Don't miss the top of the table clash between the Townsville Fire and Melbourne Boomers this Wednesday night. Tip-off at the Townsville Entertainment Centre is 6.30pm local time, which is 5.30pm AEDT, and it's live on ESPN. Go the Fire. And that's the wrap. See you next week. That was great. Love how orange we are. Orange for life. T.
TFAP Orange for life. Check out our Instagram at the Female Athlete Project. Subscribe to the podcast. Please give us a review. Let us know what you think and we'll see you next week. See you next week, friend. Bye.